How you doing today, Brian? Hey, I'm good, Nick. Here we are, uh, making our way into the new year, and um, it's just proving itself to uh, have all sorts of interesting twists and turns that are no different than the year we've just come out of. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of being the same, you know, and in, in the United States, we just had the storm on the Capitol thing that happened. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's an interesting time for sure. And my wife and I were talking, she's like, you know, there needs to be this meme of where it's like 2020. You know, it's like 2020 has been crazy and 2021 is like, hey, hold my beer. <laughs> but we had a great oh conversation today. Um, you know, we, we talked about everything from knowledge management to you know, virtual working to geez, just technology tools. Very deep conversation today. Well, Very technical and then, one, too. Yeah, yeah. More, more technical than many of our conversations, which is, you know, fun to embark on once in a while. Uh, we had Dr. Clark Shaw Nelson join us, and uh, his his uh, focus is uh, knowledge management. And, you know, so we were able to talk about um, not only tools and technologies related to that, but many of the leadership challenges, the change management components, um, really, you know, how you effectively work within teams to collaborate uh, in a way that uh, helps extend um, that informational basis that you're trying to capture within the the knowledge management, and then how you uh, how you continue to retain that uh, over time, particularly in uh, light of what, for many industries, has a graying workforce that uh, is walking out the door with a lot of knowledge. Right? Yeah, and I, f- I feel like a lot of organizations struggle with that. Right? It's documentation, and especially us in technology roles. Right? That's always a challenge. People like building this stuff, but they hate documenting this stuff. Um, but it's 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 important because you got to be able to leave it for the next person down the line or or somebody else who's coming in doesn't know anything. Uh, so it's a great conversation, I guess. With that, since we, it's a little bit longer than one of our normal episodes, we'll just let uh, the listeners get on with the show. That's awesome. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano, Washington, D.C. And today we are joined by Dr. Clark Sean Nelson, who's, uh, I don't even know how to introduce you. I mean, your, your background is so varied, uh, but we've known each other for a while. And, and when we first met, you were, you were doing some stuff uh, teaching German uh, through video coursework, like way back in the day, like pre-streaming kind of stuff, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was the uh, early to mid '90s in Denver, Colorado. I actually—that's you know really where I had my first full-time job was Denver, Colorado. There, when I met you um, as a teacher, that's how I got started. I had a degree with an education license and a German and Norwegian uh, degree from my undergraduate studies, and got a job teaching German in in uh, South High School in Denver. But my, after my first year. I got a job uh, doing the same thing over the TV and I had to set the whole thing up from scratch. And I was teaching four high schools at once over the TV, over the cable TV channel in Denver. <laughs> and uh, so you're, so wow. where, how did I get here from there? Right. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Um, That's right. Now, you know, now you're the doctor. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I went from there into like teaching online uh, over the internet and, and training 
uh, and, um, and got a master's degree there in Denver at the University of Colorado, uh, Denver in uh, instructional technology. And then uh, at some point I started using that uh, when, I, when I was in New York City and uh, got into higher education uh, administration, essentially. And uh, that kind of led down the path toward uh, instructional design management, really. Uh, I was uh, at the uh, State University of New York in Delhi and helped them set up an online nursing program. Yeah. And so then I wound up at the uh, Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and uh, managing a team of uh, seven instructional designers for, for their online learning classes and so on. And that really got me interested in the whole concept of management and leadership and, and, and um, kind of took me down the path of, uh, you know, now I'm an assistant dean of instructional design and technology at the University of Maryland School of Social Work in downtown Baltimore. And uh, so I just completed this Doctor of Business Administration uh, program through the University of Maryland Global Campus, which uh, I just found fascinating, you know, uh, learning all, all about, you know, ma uh, management, leadership, uh, change management. Um, I ended up kind of going down the path of knowledge management. That's what I did my dissertation on uh, and, and knowledge management, specifically with collaborative technologies. Um, and uh, yeah, here we are. <laughs> so, and that's a lot. So thank you for that <laughs> summarized version of your vast background. So, so talk to us a little bit about collaborative technologies. What, what does that mean? Right. So um, I view uh, collaborative, I mean, really it kind of started with web, web 2.0 in the late nineties and the idea that it's not just um, companies or people pushing out information, but it's people uh, participating and engaging and, and collaborating uh, to make things, create things. Um, so that includes everything from Google Drive, uh, Google Docs, to um, all the other Web 2.0 stuff, social media. Um, it also includes, at this point, things that involve artificial intelligence, blockchain, uh, some of these other sort of more cutting-edge things. But essentially... Uh, to me, and in my dissertation, it's really about um, the ways people use in their workplace technologies to communicate and collaborate, um, as well as through doing so, collecting their knowledge and storing their knowledge in a way that it's retrievable. Um, so it, it includes things like instant messengers, Slack, Microsoft Teams, these types of things as well. Oh, and project management systems. So like Atlassian, Jira. And, you know, uh, all these other project management systems that folks use uh, for, sure. for co communicating and collaborating. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that, too, because, you know, when I think of what you just referenced with change management, certainly in my own uh, career trajectory, <laughs> the change management component, you know, it's the one that tends to be overlooked or undersized uh, in, in any kind of implementation around these things. But uh, getting people to now conform to actually collaboratively participate into what effectively needs to be some kind of indexed uh, library uh, of knowledge, right, versus just a dumping ground of 
people's digital stuff, right? So I would love to you can call it digital garbage, Brian. It's, it's okay. <laughs> We've all cleaned out the employee's computer who left, and it's like you're like, what is this? <laughs> That's right. You're like a thousand a thousand unopened emails in their inbox. What were they doing? <laughs> A <laughs> word doc from 1994. <laughs> That's right. Oh, it's right. And, and look at this. They've got a Windows 98 startup disk in their top drawer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so true because it's like change management is, is that's half the equation. And so much of many people's workplace right about now, uh, there are so many who are still really stuck in the 90s. Um, so the nineties was what took us from, you know, typewriters and just computers that were net to being networked and being on the internet. Right. So I got my first email address in 90, whatever, you know, something, uh, the World Wide web started coming out in the nineties. Right. And so that really was the start of what I would say this sort of new, new era, but then also, um, the idea of emails and attachments being the sort of predominant uh, paradigm uh, of business communication. There are a lot of places that are still stuck in that. And yeah. really we're at the, we're at the next paradigm now, right. Which is, you know, using more like instant messengers like Slack and Microsoft teams where, you know, the more you're using email in your business at this point, the more you're losing knowledge in my opinion, because there's so much knowledge being shared when you're using email and much of that just gets lost because people leave their inbox gets deleted or whatever. Um, and, um, it's not, it's not transparent. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's interesting that Microsoft with outlook, you know, originally they, they didn't have an architecture that was designed around, uh, you know, maintaining it like you would a file server. But that's what it eventuated into, right? And simply because of user behaviors, suddenly that's the architecture that was required to be able to continue to effectively manage Exchange, right? Exchange <laughs> became a document management system for people. That's, right. that's what, what it is, yeah. That's right. And, and your inbox is your CMS. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what do we do next? We right click and create a new folder. <laughs> <laughs> because we've exceeded the limit for the PSD file, right? That's right. That's right. And eventually, eventually you're like, well, wait a second. How, these documents are all corrupted. And it's like, well, what, how many, how, how many subfolders do you have here? I mean, there's a character limitation at a certain <laughs> point, right? <laughs> so how much of it is, you know, like we're talking about teams and everybody's distributed right now. Like I, in most organizations, people are working from home. Uh, considering what's going on, you know, it's beginning of 2021. Who, who's listening to this and people know what's going on. Like, I'm not going to say the word like it's, but so yet organizations that just hurry up and shifted to things like teams and Slack and just so they could get their workforce, you know, together. So how do they go about like, accessing that information in some kind of um, way where it can become knowledge later. Like I know people like to save emails, put them in PST so that it can be discoverable later. And some of those things aren't as easy to do when we get to these newer platforms. Yeah. And that's such an excellent question. Um, and, you know, this is something that came up in, in my dissertation as well, because um, I think what's starting to happen uh, is that 
uh, or maybe was started a, quite a while ago, but you know, um, is the artificial intelligence uh, applications that are coming up that are able to collect all this material and and sort of um, classify it with ontologies and um, categorize it and tag it and so on and. And so, and that's part of the reason of making sure things are more transparent, right? Is because that then you can, when you have things in, in a Slack channel or as, as opposed to a private message or an email, um, that can then be uh, analyzed and collected and, and you can search for it, right? The searchability is really important. Um, and, and also uh, some of these AI tools uh, are, are getting better at, they'll make recommendations and say, oh, I see you're looking for information about, you know, how to fix the sprocket or whatever. They're like, there's somebody over in column B who's trying to find that same information. Why don't we put you together? You know, so they'll actually like um, help people find the people who have the knowledge that you're looking for as well, or find the knowledge itself. Um, and so, yeah, but by having these, you know, sort of crawlers and AI tools and so on, um, get better and better at collecting this information and sorting it and tagging it and so on. Um, that's one of the ways that uh, it, it, it's, it, this is happening basically right now. Um, and I haven't seen it in practice. I, I'm, I'm speaking really theoretically for my part uh, i know that this is going on in companies and that it's you know it's, it's already happening there are a lot of companies that are, are you know um consulting for this type of thing and providing these types of services and so on um i i haven't you know been in, in a workplace that's actually using this at this point um but uh but it's certainly uh an interesting development i think wow that's that's wild yeah. So, you know, when I, when I think of, uh, you know, the knowledge base, uh, in my workplace, uh, it's, it's very much what you just described, right. Where, uh, I mean, even from a, a participatory standpoint, we're able to go in and add meta tags. If we see that there's something that, you know, should be included for part of the reference of something that wasn't included, you know, when it was instantiated, um, but of course, I work for a large tech company, so you know there's a lot of people who are searching on exactly that kind of stuff, and uh, it would be kind of silly if we were in a tech company and we didn't have uh, capabilities around automated indexing and that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're talking about larger companies, global companies, you know, uh, with people distributed around the globe, where one department. Sure. May, may work across a large geographical area. Um, it's really even more important to be able to to find that stuff and 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 have it all together in one place. Or you're going to waste a lot of time and have a lot of wheels spinning, you know, over and over, like people trying to do the same thing in in multiple places. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Nick and I don't live in the same geography, and it's it's rare anymore that we physically interact with each other at all, right? But uh, you know, here we are, continually working on collaborative uh, work product, and you know, have our our cloud enabled shares for you know all these things that we're doing. Um, that that's that's for a, a a an enterprise of two, 
right? So <laughs> you start to <laughs> you start to multiply that by adding zeros to that number, and um, you know there's a factor of complexity that comes along with it. And you know part of why I referenced the thing about the change management earlier is particularly if you've already been going down one path, like using email, <laughs> your inbox and your file structure and your inbox is your storage location for everything. And you're accustomed to, you know, actually attaching files, you know, to emails that get sent rather than sharing out links. You know, there's, uh, there's, there's a degree of uh, behavioral change that goes along with that, that, you know, I've, I've seen many struggles so I'm kind of curious, you know, again, you had referenced change management as being a big component. You know, how how does the change really start to begin the transformation? <laughs> I love that question because it, it makes me think about it's something that I've I've kind of worked with in in, in several of my positions. So <clears throat> in one case, um, it was sort of rolling out a, an, an enterprise wiki um, and 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 starting to try to get people to use it in a university setting. And, uh, you know, one of the things I learned uh, at SUNY Delhi was the idea of uh, having one group, like in this case, it was the IT group who is the, they're sort of the champions of this. Like they're gonna take care of it and maintain it and they're gonna start using it. And then when people start asking for, you know, information about this, they get a link that takes them to that wiki. And then, so it just starts with, sharing out well the information is here in the wiki and sharing that out with other people so that they start realizing like every time they're going to ask for this information they're going to be referred to the same place so maybe they then start searching for it themselves in that place right <laughs> right Using the search box, um, and save themselves a little bit of time um so that you know that's one thing and then sort of gradually um expanding that like oh well, we can set you up an account you can create your own space in there you know mm -hmm. um and 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 we can help you set it up and that type of thing and so a very small sort of organic um iterative growth in terms of um you know starting real small with one group and expanding from there and and just inviting people to the party um and then you know a similar type thing um at another position I was in where there were all these different groups um, of different teams uh, that were working on a product together, essentially, you know, about 35 of us and some working at home and some working in the office. And, um, but a lot of it was being managed with a spreadsheet and email basically. Um, and, uh, and so I, I came in and I was kind of like, okay, so, I'm having a really hard time like getting just the information I need and sifting through all of this information in this spreadsheet. And there were all these colors and columns and rows and all this stuff. And like, <laughs> how do I, how do I get to just what I need? And, and what I ended up doing there was really, I sat down with leaders and of, of each team as well as members of each team. And it was just kind of like, so how do you, how do you work? Like, how do you, how do you do this? What, what's your process? And a lot of it is really process driven, right? Like um, mm -hmm. just getting a real good sense of person by person, what their process is. And, and then I would show them like, well, what would you think if, you know, instead of doing that, if, and I would give them an example. And in, in this case, I, I started rolling out Atlassian Jira and, and creating workflows in there that would like hand it off to the next team member and send them a notification and then creating dashboards. And I was just showing people like, I could create a filter for you in a dashboard so that you can just 
you know, so you want to see this and that, that and the other thing. You don't want to see these three things over here. So we can make a dashboard and and, and have all of these these uh, custom fields in there, and then you can see just the stuff you want to see when you want to see it. Um, and I would just kind of show them this, and then I would try to you know try to try to build some consensus. Like this could be a good way to go. Um, and it was very slow kind of process of just really talk a conversation and talking with people and and finding out how how they work and then showing a, a, an example of what i thought would be a more streamlined way that that could also foster communication and collaboration um in a in a way that was just um a little bit less confusing i think and uh yeah gradually it just kind of like one by one you know sort of like a snowball effect um, starts uh, building consensus and building. Um, and then, you know, I was there for several years and then I left and now they're still, they're still using that and they've expanded that and, and so on. And so, um, and the same thing with um, in that, in that point, uh, when I first got there, they were using AOL instant messenger, which is, was very much just a one-to-one -one type of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, I started talking about, well, you know, it seems like we would benefit from having channels where we can communicate in these channels about projects or about um, about our teams or, you know, have different like the water cooler channel and stuff like that. And so, you know, I was able to push things along toward using ultimately it was like, should we use Slack or should we use HipChat, which was Atlassian's product at the time. And we were using hip, hip chat and, 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 you know, now most everybody's on Microsoft teams or whatever, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, you know, I was really enjoying it because I was learning so much myself and I got to have all these great conversations with people and just learn so much about process and then trying to wrap my every day, I'd try to wrap my head around, like, how can I push this forward just a little bit more, you know, and, and build some, some more buy-in to, to moving in this direction, but it can be a real uphill battle. Uh, especially I'm in, I've been in higher ed for a good long time now and uh, let me tell you, there are a lot of uh, places I've been where folks are really still all about the files and the, 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 the file server you can't get to unless you're on campus, you know, oh and, and the, uh, the uh, email. I'm in some vax. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the VPNs and stuff. And I'm just like, I think we can move things to the cloud and it makes it a little, uh, a little more accessible. Um that's great. Well, a lot of what you just described there, I would qualify as iterative design, mm -hmm. right? You push some things out there, you, you, you engage in some dialogue, you, you know, you prototype some things, you put, put that in front of your, your users for some uh, effectively some acceptance testing, right? You, you get additional feedback, you continue the dialogue, you create enhancements, you add new features, you know, you continue to gather feedback and it just continues to, to grow over time. Absolutely. And that was part of the thing too, when, when, when we rolled out JIRA was at first it was just like, okay, we're just going to put this particular small set of things in there and we're not going to use the comments or any of that, you know? And then it was like, okay, let's just start logging time in there. So, cause we were logging time in a separate system. Well, we can log time in here. Let's just log in. And then it was like, okay, let's start using the comment feature now. So it was just a, a yeah, very iterative. Yeah evolution i like the way 
you do that. I mean, I've dealt with some organizations even nowadays that still are like that, right? They they run out of spreadsheets and, and email, and it's pretty scary, right? Because if somebody gets hit by a bus, like all the information is just gone. And the change management's the hardest part of that, I feel like, right? And it's like, how do you bring people along slowly to get them to get buy-in to see that this is a different way of doing stuff so that it helps other people down the road? It's going to suck in the beginning, but it's going to be better for you in the long run. Absolutely. And that brings us back to like knowledge retention, which was, you know, part of part of my dissertation, like somebody getting hit by the bus, you know, somebody, mm-hmm. you know, getting some sort of a disease. Um, they might need to be out of work for a while. Um, uh, I'm glad you changed it up beyond getting hit by the bus, you know? Yeah. <laughs> whatever it happens right in there. to be, right? Falling or, off a cruise ship, Brian. I, yeah, yeah. Right. We can go sort of lots of ways here. Cruise ship. Scaffolding <laughs> at the U.S. Capitol. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, whatever that is, you know, knowledge retention, you know, companies – are in organizations, nonprofits, you name it, they're, you know, they're dealing with all of these people's knowledge and, 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 and investing so much in, in, you know, knowledge, uh, intellectual capital is probably one of the most important forms of capital, uh, in this type of economy that we're in, in this type of, you know, world that we're living in with, the internet and and the networks and so on being so important and um you know if you have people coming in and you're paying them however many figures and they're you know all their knowledge is in their email or or you know on some some files on their hard drive that they take with them when they leave or whatever or they just get it just gets trashed when they leave you know um it's it's not a great use of your uh, your capital, um, and and so knowledge retention. I mean, that's part of the whole thing, you know, that I was writing about in the dissertation. Is you have baby boomers retiring, you know, by hordes these days, of course, and and most of them in, in executive positions and in in high level positions, and a lot of them not extremely tech savvy. Um, you know, uh, many are, but there are you know a lot that aren't, and. And uh, in some cases, they're retiring, and then they're being hired back as consultants at extremely right. high prices for their yeah. knowledge that wasn't captured, yeah. right? Um, and yeah. so, it, you know, the idea of 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 making of having a systematic management of knowledge uh, to help sure the knowledge is retained, it's not lost, um, to to make help make sure the knowledge is shared. Um, you know, it's, it's just so important these days. Uh, also with, um, you know, there are a lot of the gig economy and a lot of folks kind of like hop, hopping around jobs and so on. And so um, that, that comes into play as well. And uh, yeah, there has to be a way to, you know, um, empower people as well as sort of harness their knowledge and, 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 and share it and make it available. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I think of a, a project that I was involved in, you know, almost a decade ago, where exactly what you're talking about for a, a large organization, where you've got a lot of different people who are specialized in certain areas, but there would tend to be a need for someone to collaborate with one of those people, right? Suddenly, there's an engagement with another client, 
uh, of a certain type that, you know, there's someone in the organization has the knowledge of exactly what that challenge is. But, you know, what do you do? Do you start picking up the phone or do you send an all employees email, right? Who knows about construction risk defect, you know? <laughs> the reply all on the distribution list. Yeah. That's right. And for most people, it's just a waste of time, right? It's just junk showing up or, you know, or there's the tribal effect, right? There's, uh, there's someone who's like, well, I don't, you know, I think that there's this person who had this experience with that thing or that client and uh, versus exactly what you're talking about, having a centralized uh, forum to be able to find some of those things. So, you know, part of what I've, I've seen results from that, uh, whether it's, you know, Slack, Teams, Drupal, you know, there's this option to be able to create your profile and your persona and have those meta tags help drive uh, the indexing and the search capabilities so that it's it's very easy for someone then to go and search on the term construction <laughs> risk defect right and and now you've isolated you know there's these three people out of a 10,000 person organization you know who have some specialization or there's a a reference to an RFP that, you know, can be tied back to that from a document management perspective, that sort of thing. Absolutely. And in terms of getting there uh, and, and the change management to get there, uh, one of the crucial things uh, these days uh, is a lot of companies don't have something like a chief knowledge officer or a, you know, um, somebody, you know, systems and, and a group in place to help make sure that there are processes, that there are um, incentives, there are, you know, whatever needs to be in place to help make sure, you know, people uh, when they're they're hired and they go through onboarding process and HR and the, the learning and development group and so on, that there's this whole sort of systematic um, uh, set of processes, systems, and software, and so on that help make sure that uh, the knowledge is being shared. Um, and so, you know, that's that's another big piece to this uh, this puzzle is is uh, having that leadership of knowledge management and knowledge uh, knowledge organization. Is there any point where people can go overboard with saving information? Like the, the classic example I can think of people who save thing in like a CRM and they save every single little thing known to man is there, there's, there's a point where you can dilute it, right? Where the information becomes super difficult to find because people have a tendency just to keep something because they think it might be helpful later. Or, uh, or even worse, there's, you know, there's rules put in place that actually force those bad habits. Right. Oh, like yeah, there's that too. Yeah. Like you're being tracked by your activities. And so if you sync, you know, one of your emails to your CRM, and I guess that's what I'm getting it, to. Cause you know, like, even though it just says people, thanks yeah. in your yeah. reply, and then you've got all the content of the, you know, the, your thanks, email thanks, signature thanks, thanks, and, thanks, the, thanks, yeah. <laughs> and how useless is that? Right. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. That can really dilute things. And that's where I think some of the AI should come in handy uh, for filtering out some of these things. Um, yeah, that's even a problem with Jira, you know, where I forward forward comments to Jira and then it's got the whole history and then I forward another one later and it's got the same whole history and, and I haven't figured out a way to train it to get rid of all that stuff that's, mm -hmm. that's repetitive in there. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, that's that's definitely a thing. As is uh, knowledge hoarding, uh, and, and uh, but you know the <laughs> idea that um, people are, uh, and, and in this case, it can be not wanting to share their knowledge in terms of like, well, I I, I have this expertise and uh, this is my this is my paycheck. You know, right. this is, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, if I give this away then I'm, I'm, I'm less valuable somehow or something like that. And that can, that can be a, a problem as well. Um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, I think that that's a level of maturity in terms of the, um, uh, in terms of knowledge management uh, and having like a chief knowledge officer and having a group that, that facilitates this and works with HR, works with the learning and development team and so on to make sure that people are trained and, and, you can identify good practices from not so good practices in terms of what you save, what you don't save, what you share, what you don't share, that type of thing. Well, from a leadership perspective, also part of what I just heard you reference is to me, something that we in IT have experienced for a long time, which is that sort of draconian uh, desire to control and withhold information for specifically the reasons that you're talking about, because that keeps you in this prestigious role of, you know, being the the single knowledge keeper for something, whether it's, you know, retaining the only uh, information about the administrative login credentials you know, to certain <laughs> systems, not completing your documentation in the wiki, right? Well. So that nobody else can really triangulate how to do what you've been able to do. And, and all of those things, the, you know, those are factors of leadership around this, mm-hmm. right? It's more than change management. It's actually uh, having the effective leadership, kind of what you're referring to with the SKO, uh, or the, the CKO, uh, to have, um, you know, really that establishment of trust, the working agreements uh, between your team members, and that this is a safe environment. Actually, we all get better by having access <laughs> into the same information. Yeah, it's going to come down to culture a lot, and, and leadership certainly determine a lot of the culture of, of the organization. Um, and you know, if, if, if the leadership is prone to keeping things not very transparent and not sharing and so on, you'll definitely see that filter down. Uh, and, um, yeah, that's, you know, what is it? Culture eats, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of that quote culture. Uh, now I can't think of it all of a sudden it'll come to me eventually. Um, <laughs> culture eats. Come on, you got to know this one. Culture, I'm going to Google it. Culture eats strategy. Yeah, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So I'll start it over again. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> well, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that you bring up strategy because I think strategy is, you know, from kind of earlier in our conversation as we were talking about. Uh, you know, what are some of those challenges around uh, change management and, and getting that behavioral change to take place? It's exacerbated even further when you've got this duplicity of systems, right? Where, where there's, um, you know, you've got five different project management systems, depending on which team is using them. And of course, then you've got the emotional defensiveness that comes along with, well, but we're software developers, we have to use Trello. 
you know, and, you know, the Microsoft project can be used for the, you know, operations team over there. And then of course, you know, you've got your other folks who are saying, you know, well, we do everything from, you know, agile principles. So we have to have liquid planner and right. And so it's, it makes it even harder than to come to the table and say, look, we've, there's got to be some degree of standardization because I imagine, you know, you're getting the same challenges around dilution, the more systems that you have in place. And now you've got things spread all between uh, a variety of systems. So I want to ask you about this because I, in, in my own uh, prior history in, in tackling this challenge, uh, you know, we spent time putting together an information architecture uh, strategy, right? And what that looked like was, how are we going to be able to phase this over time? And so it's not, you know, we're going to shoot the moon right out of the gates and we're consolidating all these things and, you know, it will be this, it, <laughs> you know, it's more of a, uh, again, from an iterative approach, uh, we're going to stair step this so that we're gradually consolidating out all of these different sources. And then here's all of the value that comes along with that every time we make one of these transformational changes. And, and so from my perspective, um, you know, being able to have those milestones in that strategy that clearly demonstrate back to the workforce, where is the value in making these behavioral changes? Then suddenly, you know, it's, it's more of a, uh, you know, a, a, a pull versus a push, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm kind of curious, I mean, from your <laughs> academic wizardry, is that, uh, <laughs> Is that is that an approach that's on target, or is that? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it to me. Um... <laughs> All right. Well, I'm giving that a green the... light. Okay. You know, maybe maybe I shouldn't be asking the guy with the background with the heaps of junk behind him. Right? <laughs> well, every now and then I just keep looking back there to see what's back there. I was like, I see two big gulps, um, a Walmart bag. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Over there's there. some gems, yeah. man. You well, know, I was wondering what's on that sweater. A TV on a cart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's talking, talk about knowledge management, right? That is actually effectively an approach for knowledge management right there. Stack it up, fill every empty space, right? <laughs> Just toss it. Just toss it. Toss it behind you. Toss it in there. See where it lands. No, I think, you know, and I think what you're talking about too, um, I um, I think, well, sort of going back to the the various systems you were talking about, um, uh, that to me is kind of, again, where AI comes in, in terms of allowing groups to continue using the tools that they want to use, but having this layer on top of that, it's like, well, you can continue, you know, you sure use microsoft project use trello use teams whatever uh, jira and so on and then having this layer on top of that that can still uh, gather all the stuff and sift through it and sort it and, and tag it i i was uh at some webinar the other day like a knowledge management webinar some product i don't remember what it was called but um it does something like that and also like translate stuff you know um so you know for a, a global company across a border. And of course, you know, these automated translations can leave something to be desired, 
but uh, but at least it's a starting point, right? I mean, I'd rather start from some sort of a machine translation than me trying to read Spanish. You know, it just doesn't work. Um, you know, so uh, but but uh, you know, so things like that. I think as things progress and as these the AI gets better, as the translation gets better. Um, you know, for a global company working with employees across the globe that speak different languages and so on, when you can do something like that and say, yeah, we're going to pull from all these different systems that everybody's using and, and, and tag things and, 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 and organize things into taxonomies and so on, and then make them available so that people across any of the arms of this organization can find the knowledge from other people, even if it was created in a different language originally it could be really powerful. Absolutely. Even, you know, the machine learning on the front end of email receivers, right. That's able to identify uh, emails of certain types and route them, you know, to the appropriate subject matter expert or the appropriate team to execute, you know, a series of steps, you know, be able to link that to some kind of automated workflow, you know, all of those things, you know, it's interesting too. I think that, uh, we we kind of came out of this era where, um, you know, I think way back, I guess, circa 2003, the first version of SharePoint, right? Um, it was just so absolutely clunky and frustrating, like most things Microsoft. And, uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, since we've, since we've been in the Satya Nadella era, you know, a lot of these things have, have eventuated. Uh, you know, SharePoint now is just, um, it, it's its sort of uh, a framework that enables someone who's got a Microsoft Word level of, uh, you know, document or technology interaction to be able to build some pretty robust capabilities that function, you know, just like some of the best websites. And you think of how this is eventuated, you know, I mean, across the board with all of these different consumer options, it's easier now than ever before, I think, to put something together very quickly. And, and certainly for companies that are that are newer, that are starting in the cloud, <laughs> right, or have the option to start in the cloud, uh, there's just a lot out there that enables you to very quickly put something together that ultimately gives you the same kind of uh, infrastructure as, uh, you know, an enterprise class system uh, with something that is all effectively consumer grade. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, it's coming a long ways pretty quickly. Um, and uh, I love to watch Microsoft try to catch up to Google um, <laughs> with uh, their, uh, their, their technologies and tools. And I saw that um, not too long ago, Microsoft was one of their big, they have a big new knowledge management um, project they're working on. I forget the name of it, um, uh, but that'll be interesting to, to, to keep an eye on, I think, as well. Uh-oh. Nick, you got the name of the, the Microsoft Knowledge Management Project? I was I was I, looking it up, but I, <laughs> it's like, I, I recall. It's something to do with the brain. Uh, uh, no, cortex getting... project cortex. Oh, cortex cortex yep yeah there we go project cortex which i guess was happening actually already 
in in November 2019. Um, but I haven't heard of that much about it. I mean, in, in the you'd think this year 2020. <laughs> I guess uh, a lot a lot changed. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking about uh, you know Microsoft has has done a pretty interesting concept in a lot of major municipalities rolling out these Microsoft technology centers, right? These MTCs where you can go in and it's effectively a showroom of all of these different things of, you know, their chatbots of, um, you know, um, telemetric driven uh, AI and IOT. Um, you know, you've got whole showrooms where you can see exactly what a collaborative setup might look like. That's different between a home office, a, you know, a physical office, a, a remote uh, workstation, a kiosk, um, and you know, kind of do these trial runs or bring in your your actual workforce to go through some scenarios. And you know, since the pandemic, it's the kind of thing where I, I kind of wonder. Yeah, I wonder how much activity is going on. <laughs> with a lot of those you know it's it's a great concept but uh collaboration has become far more virtual in in just you know the last 10 months you know oh man yeah and i and i i hate to say i love the pandemic because <laughs> there's there's so much pain and 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 suffering that it has brought but at the same time I kind of like that it forced everyone to have to work virtually. And it, I, you know, I kind of want to, you know, say, Hey, to all those HR people or leaders who are like, no, you can't work at home. That's never going to work that you won't get anything done. And all that, you know, all that, all that shade that was thrown on virtual teams on, on working from home on so on by so many people for so long. And, and now it's just kind of like, Still works, you know. Actually, working pretty well. Uh, we're getting a lot done here. Um, you're, you're about to get Nick fired up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if anything, you know, it, it's it's just accelerated it, right? Now you can look at, at people can look for jobs and see that remote work is there, and it works. I mean, leadership is leadership, whether people are in front of you or somewhere else. Mm, that's exactly right. Yeah. 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 And we have the tools, I mean, with screen sharing and mouse control and all that kind of stuff, like, you know, even before the pandemic, I mean, my team, we do a lot of support end user support for mm -hmm. um, Blackboard and uh, academic technologies and so on. And already almost all of our interaction with clients or with students or faculty was over Zoom or, you know, using video conferencing and screen sharing because yeah. everything we need to do, we could just do using that. And, and, you know, uh, so um, there's just, I, I think that uh, it really drove people to kind of finally realize that. And the great thing for me is that there are less people who are like, oh, we need training on how to do video conferencing. It's like, you know, every, nobody needs training on video conferencing anymore. We're all set. <laughs> Got that. That's, that's, that. that's been the great thing. I feel like with, with this whole situation is that people have been willing to look for the answer themselves initially before they reach out for, for help from an IT desk or something like that. Like you said, now everybody knows how to use a Zoom or a WebEx or a GoToMeeting or something like that. They're all the same. Yeah, well, it's funny, you know, in recent years, uh, with some of the organizations that I've worked with, we've talked about these things that you you are a tech and data company whether or not you recognize it, 
whether or not you believe that is a central part of your business, you are, that, that is part of what you do. And part of what comes with that is a need for everyone to exhibit some degree of technical maturity. And uh, again, if there's, you know, sort of a happy accident, that's part of the fallout of the pandemic. It, it is that it's forced everyone into that. You know, it's possible that you could not get the support that you needed for your technical challenge. And, you know, we're forced down the path of having to spend some time doing a little bit of research. And, and so it's, uh, I think, also helped elevate some, some of the confidence uh, that people have had around the various tools that ultimately are just they're you know, says Ray Kurzweil has talked about with the singularity, right? I mean, we're not getting away from it. We're only deepening it. <laughs> so better, better skill up now. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. And, and it, like Nick says, you know, the ability for talent to be able to, work virtually, uh, or, or especially more even for the organizations to be able to hire talent from a pool, a worldwide yeah. pool, or at least a nationwide pool, as opposed to only those who are willing to, you know, pull up everything and move to Baltimore or wherever mm-hmm. that right. happens to be. Right? Oh, yeah. um, uh, it just seems so unnecessary, considering that most people actually do work at a computer uh, where they could be anywhere. And sure, I, I get there. There's some synergies that happen in a lot of teams and in, in face-to-face teams and so on. Um, and, and that there can be, uh, you know, an energy and a synergy that happens. Uh, and, and I'm all for hybrid and, you know, and, and hybrid teams and everything like that. But I think the, the lesson here is that we can do a lot more virtual than we thought we could, or that many people thought we could. We could save a lot on travel and on, uh, you know, putting carbon into the air from mm-hmm. executives flying all over the place all the time, uh, and and things like that. Well, you know, it's interesting. One of our most recent guests was from Atlassian, and uh, in fact, was uh, overseeing these physical workspaces, right? And part of what we talked about was. I mean, we haven't even begun to see the fallout that we're going to see from commercial real estate uh, in the the first couple quarters of 2021. Uh, And, you know, part of what correlates with that also is all of this urban flight, right? People who are like, you know, we had a house up in the mountains and it was the place that we could only get to four times a year. And now I'm ready to reverse course on how I've been living because I can actually live up there uh, 90% of the time and only travel down into the city when I need to get on a plane or physically interact with someone. And, and so it has you know, created a real pivot that um, just as anytime we see these transformational changes, there are those winners and losers that are part of the outcome that you know, never could have necessarily been foreshadowed. Uh, you know, 12 months earlier or whatever it is, right? Prior, prior to the, uh, uh, the displacement. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I recognize, you know, my sort of angle here and my privilege in terms of, you know, I'm talking about white collar workers, you know, and, and certainly there are a lot of folks who they can't work from home, you know, they're, they've been hurt immeasurably, from from what's gone on in 2020 and and 
you know, have to deal with kids learning at home and, you know, trying to maintain a job and have to go to a job where they have to interact with people and potentially putting themselves at risk, uh, you know, and it's just, it's heartbreaking, um, you know, but, but, um, but, but I guess the, the part of it, uh, you know, uh, in terms of the folks working in offices, you know, at the computer and so on, I think, uh, I think it's a big, big sea change for, for those folks. Yeah. I think well said. Sorry to bump. No, bump. no, you're fine. I, I think <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a valid point because not everybody's been able to work from home. Yeah. Uh, you know, I used to work in the restaurant industry and I, I, I think of what I would have been doing now if, if I was still in the industry, I, who knows, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be working. Um, yeah. but as we're coming to the end of our, our interview here, we always ask our guests, do you have a book or a piece of media that's had a big impact on you? A book or a piece of media. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, what comes to mind, I'm, I'm not a big reader as you can tell. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I uh, no, but the, the, one of the books I've been reading uh, when I do on the very rare occasion I read um, is is called uh, Zen in the Brain. It's by it's a big fat book. Uh, it's on neuro neuroscience and 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 meditation and so on um, by James Austin. And he actually has authored a whole bunch of books. And I, I ended up buying a bunch of them and I haven't read yet. Um, that are all in this sort of series about neuroscience and meditation in the brain. And um, I, I find it fascinating. I think it's uh, another, and I was looking through the tags on your, on your podcast and I see meditation and mindful leadership yep. and some of these things. And I'm thinking, all right. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll drop a little of that in there too, because I think that's a big influence on, it's been a big, big influence on me and my life. Um, and um and this book is, I mean, it's, it's a big, fat, thick book, Zen in the Brain. And he's written, like I say, four or five others as well that are also very huge. Um, but it goes into like all kinds of these, these different states of mind and, and the, 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 the neurobiology of what's going on in the brain during meditations, different states and so on. And um, it's pretty fascinating stuff. So that's kind of that that's something that I've been reading. I, I don't know if it's that inspirational per se, but it's, it's uh, something that I've, uh, and it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with, uh, with leadership or technology uh, per se. Uh, but there's that. No, that's great. I mean, you know, we, we paint those, those uh, subjects in broad strokes. So I'll, I'll just say that any book that's got Zen in the title should, it's probably too long if it's more than 12 pages. <laughs> Then is about simplicity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the sound of one hand clapping. <laughs> That's right. It's more about the empty space than the fullness of many, many pages. <laughs> well, Dr. Clark, Sean Nelson, thank you so much for spending the time and uh, helping to educate us on, on knowledge management and commiserating as well on some of the current state of things. Yeah, it's thank a, you, Brian and Nick. I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to talk with you and and uh, and uh, hear some of your takes on on some of these topics. Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure having you, and uh, you know, hope to continue the conversation. It'll be interesting to find out kind of what's what's next for all of this. And you know, I mean, really, 
within a couple of years, I think we're going to be seeing so much uh, advances in the maturity of AI and ML. Um, then again, you know, we'll see a whole next wave of innovation resulting from that. Absolutely. And then, you know, post COVID uh, going to be a whole, a whole set of new, uh, I, I think there's going to be a lot of innovation, a lot of creativity uh, mm -hmm. coming. Uh, and, and of course, with the environmental disasters going on around us as well, uh, there's going to be a huge shift. So I don't know. I just started up a whole new thing there. We're, we're signing off, not starting a new chapter. Here. <laughs> well, that's, it'll force our hand to bring you back. How's that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Love it. Thanks, Clark. Hey, thank, thank you. you.